I invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to Psalm 145. That's almost right in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 145. It was almost exactly seven years ago now that we heard the news reports of a structural failure in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August the 1st, 2007, on a road that handled some 140,000 vehicles a day, a bridge that spanned across the Mississippi River, failed and fell some 13 stories or so down into the water below. Before it was all said and done, a number of people lost their lives, and the bridge took a number of years to rebuild. That's a good picture for us, I think, of what happens when strategic bridges give way. Life in Minneapolis was upset and had to be refigured for a number of years while they tried to come back and figure out how to go from one side of the river to the other. And in our lives today, as a church, we stand as a bridge between generations. We are at a critical point in the life of our church today. Over the last couple of months, we've asked that we as a people pray about where God seemed to be for us and ask Him where He was in the proposed project to do some renovations and some uh, turning around of space, which would involve this particular building becoming a children's space for education purposes primarily, a a renovation uh, of the chapel to be the primary worship space for our church. And as we've gone through the last two months, we've prayed about that. The church has gone on record as saying we believe that God is in it based on the vote that we took, and now we find ourselves handling the question, how do we pay for that? I want to remind you today as we come to this day that we have looked to for at least a few weeks as the day where we go on the record to say how we intend to help support this project. I want to remind you that we are a bridge between generations. And there have been those who went before us and there will be those who come after us and we stand between the two. And how we handle ourselves and how we handle this church and its business over these months that are ahead of us will directly impact what comes after us. Psalm 145 is a pretty good point of reference for us at a time like this. We come to it and it reminds us of both the backward look and the forward glance. And in between those two is the present now. And all of those we find David coming to bear for us. In Psalm 145, as we first consider for just a few moments, this will be a relatively short message. It doesn't say much for me. Relatively short is still long probably. But uh, I want us to look at this and, and see each of these elements here. First, the backwards look. David comes to this particular psalm and he lays out some stuff for these people who would be the ones who hear it first and then the ones who read it, which would include us. And in the very beginning of this, we find a couple of things that are noteworthy for us as it relates to why we do this today and why we've chosen this and especially verse 4 as the theme verse for our entire renovation project. David is acutely aware at this point in his life of that which has gone before. But we find that throughout this, but before we even get to the verses that show that, I want you to notice at the very beginning of this particular psalm, it says, it's kind of one of those subtitles, if you will, and they are all through the book of Psalms, and they say a number of different things, but this is the one time that we find this specific statement. It is a song of praise of David. 
David wrote a lot of songs. We find his handiwork all the way through the book of Psalms, this gathered collection of the individual songs that the children of Israel sang as part of their worship. This is the one that is entitled A Song of Praise of David. It's it's in a strategic place for us. This one psalm introduces the last stretch of the book of Psalms. And if you'll notice, every psalm after this one through the end of the book starts off with the idea of praising God. So let's just stop there. Let's think for a moment, what is it in your life that moves you to praise God? What is it as you sit in those quiet moments of your life, if you happen to have them? They're hard to come by these days. We have to intentionally carve them out for the most part. But when you have the opportunity or you make the opportunity to sit back and think about God and all that he is and all that he does, what is it that causes you to want to praise him? So often we limit that to a worship service where the musicians happen to pick the right songs, the ones that we like. And there seems to be no technical issues that draw our attention away from what we're thinking about. And we reduce praise to something that occurs in a room full of people, most of whom we don't know. And we'll spend a little time doing praise and worship. There's got to be more than just that. And not to say that that's not valid, because it is valid. There's got to be more to us in our lives and our walk with God than just some structured time with a bunch of people coming together in a room that's called a church building. What is it that moves you to praise God? One of the things that that probably fits into the answer for you, it does for me and it does for most people I know, is that when I think backwards about the things that God has done, when I look back over the course of my life or even the course of, of, of the history of our whole faith and the history of this world, we look backwards and we can find things that would cause us to look at God and say, hey, you were busy then and I want to say that I love you, I appreciate your activity. And that falls under this umbrella of praise. David does that here. It doesn't just start off by saying this is a song of praise. That's what David is doing throughout this whole psalm. And part of what triggers that for him is that backwards look. Let me show you a couple of these very quickly. In chapter, This is all in 145, okay, Psalm 145. But in verse 5, excuse me, the second part of verse 4, David says, I'm going to read the whole verse for you, but I'm really focusing in on the second half right now. One generation shall commend your works to another, here you go, looking backwards, and shall declare your mighty acts. What would those people, those Hebrew people that first heard these words, as they sang these things, where would their mind go when it references the mighty acts of God? Undoubtedly, some of them would have gone to the father of their whole faith, the whole Jewish tradition, which is Abraham. As we've been already started and we'll continue after this week, we'll continue preaching our way through the life of Abraham. One of the things that we're going to find that I believe they would have thought about at some point is how God took care of Abraham even when Abraham had failing faith. He found himself in Egypt and he was lying about who his wife was. Well, it wasn't a total lie. But a lie is a lie, and he was telling the Pharaoh that he, or the guy in charge that he, she was not really his wife and more his sister, and 
And all of that, we find that God took him out of that and took him back to the promised land that he had left after God says, this is the place. The mighty acts of God that cause his people to remember as they look backwards. Here's another one in verse 5, the second part. And it says, on the glorious splendor, oh, oh, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. What would they have heard? As they heard of these and thought of these wondrous works of God looking backwards, certainly they would have thought about that time in their history where the children of Israel found themselves just like their father Abraham had found himself down in Egypt and down and out in Egypt. A bunch of slaves. And God miraculously took those slaves and he moved them out of Egypt into the promised land. And between those two bookends, the out of and the into, stood 40 years of God's wondrous acts on behalf behalf of his people. As they look backward, David says, it caused me to praise God. We find another one in verse 8, the first part of verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful. We look at the grace of God for these children of Israel. We look at them for David himself, who had been deposed from the throne by his own son. And all that that was to bring to the land that we would call Israel, God moved in a mighty way to put David back into his rightful place. When we think of what God has done in the past with our backward look, it ought to move us to praise him. We find another one here in verse 13, the second part of verse 13. It's actually, in my Bible, is set off in brackets. The Lord is faithful in all of his words and is kind in all of his works. And so now I want to take it off of those first century listeners and I want to put it squarely into your lap and into my lap as we look backward in our own lives. What are the things that we see that God has done that show his faithfulness to us that we wouldn't be here today if he hadn't come through for us? Can you trace God's hand like that? As you look backwards and you see God moving in your life to preserve you, to equip you, To bless you, does it drive you to praise? Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Verse 15, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. And if you find yourself here today looking backwards and in your own life, go, I'm not sure I can find God's hand in that. The fact that you're here is evidence that God has sustained you. We all have the opportunity, the reason, the occasion to praise God. I don't really want us today so much to look at this from Israel's perspective or even from our own individual perspective, even though I've spent five minutes doing that. I want us to look at this from the standpoint of the collective body that is known as Crestwood Baptist Church. As we look backwards, do we have cause to praise God? On this day where we 
take our stand as it relates to where we believe God is leading us as individuals, as families, to fund the work that we believe he has told us to do. One of the things we need to get right is the backward look. And so let's put it on us as a church. What has God done in our midst that would cause us to praise him, especially with our wallets? One of the things I love to do, and I get to do it about once a year since I've been here. Very rarely is it more than that. But I'm starting to string years together now, and so I'm finding these patterns as they come around. And that is that I have the rare privilege for a pastor to sit down and visit with the founding pastor of our church. Most pastors go to a church, and the, the, the first guy who started that is long gone by the time that pastor gets there. He never gets to sit down. He never gets to hear about the good old days or the not so good old days, those kind of things. I have the privilege every year when Brother Parks comes back from Arizona as he makes his way back for his annual pilgrimage back to the motherland. He always comes by my office. And I get to sit down with him and I get to just share the early days with him. And some of us in this, in this service especially may not know some of the history of this church. Uh, whether you know it or not, let me give you a couple of things that are important that we know. First of all, this is a young church as, as churches go. 34 years ago, more or less, somebody in this area, in Baptist work in this area, decided there needs to be a church at that spot on Highway 69. Now, uh, my understanding is that this uh, town wasn't what it is today 34 years ago. This was out in the sticks, as I understand it. And I love to listen to Brother Parks as he talks about the phone call that he got. Inviting him to come and be the pastor of this upstart little mission. Out on the road to Kuntz. He says that his kids would ask him. I think it was his kids who asked him this. Where are the people going to come from? They got a sign out there that says, future side of a Baptist church. Where are those people going to come from? Brother Parks, every year that he's told this story, he tells me this. He says, God... He told his kids, God will send the people. And oh my goodness, hasn't he done that? What started with a handful of people, just a few families. And today, we find the ministry of this church stretches all across this part of southeast Texas. Brother Parks tells me the same stories every year. They're becoming my stories. That's the value of being able to sit down with somebody who came before you because you began to get a sense and take a little bit of ownership in that which came before. Some of you were part of this group. Most of you in this group are way too young to have been part of that group that started this church. But here's the key for us. We're the bridge. We're that generation now that as we look backwards, that group of people, some of them were some of you, and I know that, and so I want you to hear me say, we recognize that what we hold as a trust here is only because God put it in the hearts of people and it carried through and God blessed this work that is called Crestwood Baptist Church. The backward look must move us to understand our place today. David in this psalm, and we could spend lots of time working our way through this psalm, and we would see one reason after another in the backward look that says we should praise God, we should honor Him for who He is. We're the bridge generation. 
And if we took the time and spent the energy, we could easily trace God's hand in the life of this church as we look backwards. But here's the problem with looking backwards. You can't live in the past. We, we can't look backward and figure out how we're supposed to live today necessarily. We need to honor the past. And we look at those who came before and we understand this is a trust. But we can't live back there. One of the ways we know that is this town's not the same as it was 34 years ago. Think, think about what's happened in the world in the last 34 years. Most of us, if you have gray in your beard or on your head, and if I had any on my head, it would be gray. But if you're like me and you're old enough, you remember 34 years ago, the only people who pulled something out of their pocket and talked into it and got all kinds of information from the web and all that stuff were on TV on Star Trek. Think about the technological advances of this world in the last 33 years, 34 years. That was back in the old days when you got a few channels on TV and cable was making a pretty good dent into the market back then. Television watching wasn't what it is or wasn't, isn't what it was back then. The world has changed. This town has changed. What do you do with that? Because one of the great dangers for a people of God especially is to so live in the past that they make no sense of the present. One of the things that we do is we follow David's leader and we don't just look to the past, we also look to the future. It's not a bridge unless there's two sides to it. And so we know the part of the past. Now look at this, let's look at the part of the future. If we look at this psalm that David puts together, he helps us to do that. David himself recognized that there's not enough just to look backwards and say thanks. We must look forward, and here's what he does. It's, it's an interesting uh, device that David uses here. It's a stylistic tool in the grammar, and that is, it's called an inclusio. It's, it's the first verse and the last verse mirror one another. It is an intentional move that David uses here to emphasize that everything in this psalm is tied to this one idea. So look at it. The first verse says, a song of praise of David, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. That's a forward-looking statement. In verse 21, the last one in the psalm, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and forever. Two statements that gives one idea that controls everything in between. David is saying with this psalm, we will praise God. But David's smart enough to know that some people need a little bit of a nudge in that. And so he pushes them backwards. Look what God has done. You have reason to always praise God. But he also gives us a few of those statements here that look forward. Now, before I get to those statements that look forward, let me give you this little deal. Because I think David says we're going to praise God on credit. Here's what I mean by that. When Teresa and I moved the second time down to the Rio Grande Valley... I'd been youth minister there and then went, moved out to uh, New Mexico. 
and served the church out there for three years. And then God called us back to the Rio Grande Valley where I served as assistant pastor in that church. During that three-year time frame that we were gone, an old man and his wife joined that church. And so as we came back, we were trying to get to know him and, you know, some of the people in the church that had come in during that three-year period. And so we went to this home of this man and his wife. And she was, I don't know, 83, 140. She was old. 83 is not that old. 140 starts getting there. And as we sat there, she was careful to let us know that she, I think her term, if I remember right, was she was a stinker. Does that... That may not mean what some of you think it means. It just means that she was always getting in trouble, even as an adult. And and I kind of figured that after talking to her. You know, you, just, you get a hold of somebody's feisty and you kind of know it right away, right? That was her. So she started telling us some of the stories about her life growing up. And she said she was always that kind of a person. I was a stinker from the time I was a kid. Well, one time, she and her family, this was back in the days before uh, everybody could afford an automobile and they needed to go somewhere to see a relative and so they were going to travel by train. But they lived out in the country and so her daddy was loading them all up into the wagon and they were headed to the train tracks and cha- train stations so that they could hop the train and head over to see their relatives. And just before they leave, her daddy took her by the hand, walked her back into the house, took a switch and went to town on her with that switch. And she's crying And finally, when it was all said and done, she asked her daddy, why did you spank me? He said, because I know you're going to get in trouble on the train. I gave you a spanking on credit. (laughs) I think David gives God praise on credit here. He knows that God's good for it. And so he starts to praise God in advance of what he does. Look at a couple of these verses with me. Verse 5, again, this is now the first part of verse 5. I read the second part earlier. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, I will meditate. Now, that is partially backwards looking. But it carries with it this thrust towards the future. I will meditate on this. It's a future kind of a statement. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to revel in who you are. And here's the switch for David. And it's got to be the switch for us. As we look backwards, we recognize the hand of God. But when we look forward, we praise him on credit because of his character. We know that he's good for praise from now on. He never will do anything that will detract from his praiseworthiness in us. You believe that? All right, well, I'm going to pray that you start believing it then. That's an incredible statement. Look at what else he says. A couple of others. Verse 7. The second part of verse 7. I'll read the whole verse. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Firmly entrenched in the character of God, David says, this is going to happen. People are going to praise you because of who you are. You will never do anything that detracts from who you are. And then verse 8. We find this statement. This is one of those repeated statements throughout the Old Testament. It captures for us the character of God. We find it over in the book of Exodus on the word, on the lips of God himself as he talks to Moses. The self-identification of God. David now pulls in in verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding 
and steadfast love. And that drives us to worship and to praise Him. And it's a future reality as much as it is a present reality for us. In the early days of our time here, on those occasions where Teresa and I both had some time in the evening, we loaded up into one of our cars and we just drove around this area. We purposely took roads that we had never been on before around here. And for the first 18 months or so, we would just drive around, pick a road that we hadn't been on before and see where it took us. You know what we found during those days here in southeast Texas? There's a lot of people around here. You've heard me say it from the pulpit many times. There's, there's a lot of houses out in the sticks. You want another, another truth of that? In every one of those houses, statistically speaking, there's at least one person who needs Jesus Christ. That was three and a half years ago, and they've built a lot of stuff around here since then. We could spend a lot of time looking backwards at this church and what God has done with us as a church. The things where God has proven himself that move us to praise him today for what he's done. Do you think for a second that God did all of that just to get us to this point so that we could sit back and say, man, God did good work back then. Those were the good old days and there will never be any good old days to come. Do you think God in his wildest purpose possibilities intended for us just to be glad about the past and not be concerned about the future? I happen to believe that God did the things that he did because he has a work for us to do. And I don't think he's done with us. If I thought he was done with us, I'd be gone tomorrow. Because I don't want to serve a dead church. And you don't want to go to a dead church. And so we stand here today and we have to have that look forward. The one that falls underneath the character of God where we can say we trust you God to take us where we need to go and to be true to who you are. If we couldn't count on that, it would be a tough thing for us to look forward. But we can count on it. He is God after all. And we stand here with the reality that hits us in the face today. There will be those people who will come after us, the next generation. Remember, we're the bridge. There have been those who came before us who handed it off to us, and we're holding in trust this church. But there will come a generation after us who will look backwards at these times, at our time here, and wonder what we were thinking for the things that we did or didn't do. The reason that we've chosen this passage, verse 4 especially, as the theme for this whole renovation project that we're doing, generation to generation, we take our place as a bridge with this work that we do. I believe as pastor that what we have talked about and you as a church have voted to do and what we now begin to put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, about the project itself, that is enabling us to help the next generation 
it, it'll do wonders for us. We need the stuff that we're talking about doing with this to be of maximum effectiveness in handling people and discipling people. This is critical for us now, but it also sets in motion things that for the next generation, when we hand it off, we hand off something to them that they can use to move forward for God's glory. We don't do this because some preacher wants another building. We don't do this because some power brokers in a church decided it's time to go building stuff. We do this because God himself, who says we are the bridge generation, is honored when people are handled well for the gospel's sake. And so we have the past, we have the future. While we were gone, this is one of the reasons this is so in, in front, embedded in my thinking. While we were in Odessa a couple of weeks ago for Teresa's stepdad's funeral, we took a few moments. We weren't even in town 24 hours, but we took a few moments to drive by the church where my dad uh, served as pastor for 16 years. And in those days, that church was packed with people takes up a whole city block. And there were people who were being reached for the gospel and lives that were being discipled and trained. And those were some glorious years in church language. But somewhere somebody dropped the ball. Because that church now is largely abandoned. They run maybe on a good Sunday, maybe a hundred people. And they're just surviving. They can't even pay to paint the outside of the building. Somewhere they lost sight of the fact that every generation is a bridge generation. Under God, may that not be true of Crestwood. All intents and all signals seem to say that this area is going to continue to grow. With every day that passes, another family full of people who need Jesus Christ move into our midst. And we're charged with them. We don't have the privilege of sitting back and saying, well, maybe some other church will reach them. We're busy. God put us here on purpose, with purpose. And so the present focus with both the past and the future. We keep one eye on the past and one eye on the future and both eyes on the goal, which is to honor Jesus Christ and to make disciples. So today, we find ourselves at, well, I call it where the rubber hits the road portion of this process. I'm always really careful when it comes to money stuff in church contexts, especially as it comes to how I talk about it from the pulpit. So many people get turned off on church because the preacher all just hammers on money all the time. Uh, that won't be the case with me. I'm not going to hammer on it all the time. I've told you before that we got to this point. Uh, if God told us to do this, I believe he did, uh, he will move in the hearts of his people to pay for it. If he's in it, he's obligated himself to pay for it. He uses his people to do that. I could give you lots of biblical basis for that. So I'm not going to come up here and beat the drum all the time about this. We do come to this point, especially if you're visiting with us today. It's really important that you hear this. This is not a normal kind of service for us. 
But we find ourselves as a church needing to handle this church business. And if we're to move forward with this project, we need to know that God has put it in the hearts of his people to help us pay for it. And so I sent a letter out a couple of weeks ago, and in that letter uh, was a pink card. And uh, pink's very masculine for giving, so we thought we would use that. But was a card. And the card asked, if you're willing, to let us know what your commitment to pay over the next three years would be. I want to tell you now, there's not going to be very many people at all who are going to see that. As a matter of fact, we keep it within the way that we handle all of our money. We have uh, a couple of people in our office. I'm not one of them. No staff is ever going to be one of those, including myself. Uh, A couple of people who are responsible for handling all of the contributions that come in. Those same people would be responsible for handling these pledge cards. It's not going to be public knowledge. It's not going to be something that anybody else knows except those people who handle those things. It's none of our business. One of the things that that bothers me about a lot of churches, especially as we come to this kind of a time, is how the pledge process is done. I was part of a church that when you made a pledge, you did it in front of a deacon who would come to your house and say, well, how much are you going to pledge? And you had to do it and give it to them right there. Uh, We're not going to do that. We're not ever going to do that. Well, if this church ever does that, it'll be after I'm their pastor. Because we're not going to be part of anything like that. If In that church, if you got behind on your pledge, the deacon would come by your house and say, hey, what's going on? We're not going to do that. If this church ever does that, it would be after I'm pastor. This is between you and God. And we've asked you to pray about what your family's position is relative to this. And some of you won't be able to pay anything, and we get that, and that's okay too. It's between you and God. But as we came to the discussion about how do we take this up, Uh, We're equally concerned about that because we don't want to single anybody out for any reason. And so what we've done, we've got our ushers in just a few moments are going to start passing these out. We've got envelopes with a card in them uh, and a pen in them so that each family group could have one envelope with one pledge card in it. And if you're willing to pledge and say this is much we're going to do, then in a few moments we'll open it up and Brian will give us some music and we'll just kind of worshipfully allow... God to move and tell you what to do. You should have been praying about that already. Some people may not be ready to do that this week. That's okay. You can do it next week. But here's the deal. We're always afraid. Somebody, I was afraid somebody might say, well, I'm not going to go up there and do that. Well, first of all, we've given you an envelope so you can put it in. If you don't give anything, just stick it in the envelope, seal it, and bring it up here and drop it in. Nobody's going to know whether you had anything written on that or not. Okay. But also what we want to do, this is a worship thing that we're doing here. This was Brian's idea, and I thought it was a great thing for us to do. On the outside of that envelope is a place where you can write a prayer or a prayer request for our church in these days. So it's not just what's in the envelope. It's what's on the outside that matters too. So if you have a prayer request for this church in this time or a prayer specifically, I'm praying this for our church during this time, write that on there. And you can come drop it in. Even if you don't fill out the card, that's fine. Write your prayer down, bring it up, and we'll worship together that way. As we stand here, we are the generation-to-generation bridge. What will we do? Let's pray, and then these guys will pass this out. The way we're going to do this is once it gets passed out, you and your family take the time, fill out what you want to fill out, and then bring it up here, drop it in. As a family, drop it in. There's baskets all across the front here. You can drop them in. 
Go back to your seat. We'll have one final close of prayer when it's all said and done, okay? Let's pray. They'll pass them out, and then you come. Lord, use this time. Be glorified. Move among your people. Help us to be in a continual state of praise. Looking backwards, looking forwards. And for today, every day, we choose to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.